Well, good morning, Salt Church. I'm so glad to be here. So glad to be uh, opening the Bible with you. Genesis has been amazing. I don't know if you would agree, but man, I've just heard um, just great feedback about what God's doing in our myths. Uh, before we jump into our text, I want to get an illustration in your mind. And uh, here's the illustration. It's pretty simple. Basically, um, you're a cup, okay? Now, a little crowd participation. You need to say, I'm a cup. That's right, you're a cup. And, uh, and so your life starts off empty. And so last bit of crowd participation, at least that I can think of at this moment, you need to say, my life starts off empty. My life starts off empty. That's right. And so your life is this little cup. And what you do and I do is I find myself running around to different people going, can you fill me up? My life started off empty. I need what I don't have in my life, in my little cup. And we look at a lot of different places. We look to people, we look to places, we go a lot of different directions. We might say to another cup, you look like a cup just like me. I'm empty. Maybe you can satisfy me. Maybe you can fill my cup. Maybe you can give me meaning. And they try. (laughs) But they're empty too. And so we might try a, a different cup and we go, maybe work will satisfy me. And we, we look to work and ultimately it doesn't or, or money or go down the line. People might look to alcohol or drugs. We find ourselves looking to something to fill our cup with what you might call joy or happiness or meaning. I'm going to use a maybe richer, broader word just called blessing. So we're a cup. Our life is empty. And we start off looking anywhere and everywhere to people, things, for blessing, something to fill our cup. All right, keep that in your mind. Hey, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. We'll get back to cups and water in just a minute. Genesis has been the story of God introducing himself to us. And what's really cool is uh, we have an opening that began in chapter 12. It was almost like a fresh start in the book of Genesis where God desiring to make himself known and to be a blessing to all people starts with a guy named Abram. And back in Genesis 12, I just want to reread the first few verses to you. God makes a covenant with him. It was taught on last week. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you and I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless your, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who curse who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God told this guy, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one who blesses you. Like God's literally telling this guy, me, I'm the one who can bless you. But guess what? I'm going to bless you in such a way that you're going to be a blessing to so many others. And so God just starts off with this one guy, promises blessing to all through him. And he begins that in chapter 12. Well, we're in 13, and actually chapter 12 ended with kind of an embarrassing moment for that one guy. (laughs) I don't know if you remember it being taught on just last week, but Abram has a moment of panic. There was a famine in the land. He went to the land of Egypt, and his wife's so beautiful that he thinks, man, I'm going to get in trouble because of her. And he says, tell him you're my sister. So they're going to treat him good. Total coward move. Wimps out. Well, Pharaoh takes her to be his wife, finds out later, oh no, I've got another man's wife. And and what Pharaoh does 
is he blesses Abram. Even in the midst of this cowardly move, the old sister trick, you know, that like Abram pulled, that will get repeated and repeated by his son, pulls the old sister trick even in the midst of it. This guy, Abram, would leave Egypt totally blessed by Pharaoh. Look, it's one thing if your kids say to you, Dad, I want to bless you. Well, what they do is they pull the thing off their piggy bank and dump some nickels in your lap. But when Pharaoh blesses you, like, that's the leader of Egypt. Abram at this time was a tremendously wealthy, financially blessed guy, and he is heading back. And we pick up the account of him in chapter 13. I'm going to read the first four verses for us. It will also be on the screen for you to read along if you don't have a Bible this morning. The Bible says, Abram went up from Egypt to the land of the Negev, to, with his, um, he and his wife and all he had, and Lot with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar, and Abram called on the name of the Lord there. So, so Abram returns, and he returns with his camels kind of like loaded down with gold and silver, totally blessed, even though he totally blew it. And where does he go? He goes to the site where he had built the altar. Now, what's up with building altars? You've already heard about this in the biblical account. What, what's going on? I mean, I've I built a kitchen table. I built a deck. I built some different things. I never built an altar before. You know, what's the fascination? Was there like nothing else they were teaching in shop class like back in the day? Like arcs or altars? <laughs> you know, those are your options. Um, and, and he builds this altar. Well, it's already come up in the biblical text, hasn't it? In fact, as a review, Genesis 8.20, Noah built an altar. Genesis 8.20 says, and Noah, and this is him getting off the boat. He wasn't even told to do it. He built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And then, in fact, in our last chapter, Abram's already built some altars. In fact, in Genesis 12.7 and 8, the Bible records, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to Yahweh there and he called on the name of Yahweh. So, so we see people building altars. What's the big deal? I think maybe multiple ideas. One, sacrifice to God perhaps because of their sin. Maybe just thanksgiving to God saying, God, you're everything to me. Thank you for all that you've done. It was a way to just have intimate communion with the living God. And this is Abram's second altar. And we're going to learn that he builds a third altar to God. It, later on in our chapter, he's gonna build another altar. And in fact, we will learn in Genesis 22 that he builds a fourth altar to God where he is asked to put on the altar what means the most to him in his world, his own son. And that drama. Guys, we see Abram at the altar. Isaac would build altars. Jacob, altars. What's going on? Why build an altar? And I think it's simply this. To enjoy the greatest blessing in your life, God. Why all the altars? To enjoy the greatest blessing in your life, which was God. God wasn't even telling these guys to build altars. 
What you see is that they are communing with God and the greatest joy in their life is God himself and they had to kind of put something together, sacrifice on it, a place of worship. There's no church, there's no connection group and what they are doing is meeting with the living God. He builds an altar and I think what was going on in Abram's life, well, you might... Try and look to a lot of different places to fill your cup. Abram, <laughs> this guy, he looked at God. And Abram, when he built an altar, he found the source of blessing, and his cup was filled. Abram found tremendous blessing in God. And what you see in altar after altar is a man who was looking to God to fill his life with blessing, with joy, with meaning, and he is finding it. But what's amazing about people who find their meaning, their blessing, their joy in God is it doesn't stay contained. Check this out as we continue to look into the life of Abram. Genesis 13, verse 5 continues the narrative, and it says this. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents, but the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up, looked out, and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan as far as Zoar was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are, look north and south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Because there he goes, building another altar. The guy is altar happy. He can't stop himself. But before he builds his next altar, what we see that Abram is blessed by God. But get this, Abram is blessed to be a blessing. Do you see that? That's what God had promised him in the very beginning of the thing. I'm gonna bless you and through you, you're going to be a blessing. It's a big idea of where we're going this morning. It's a big idea of like Abram's life. Abram was blessed to be a blessing. And you can just jot that down for yourself. Paul was blessed to be a blessing. That's the point of it. 
And guys, I think sometimes we miss this in our circles of Christianity. We think the greatest thing would be to find blessing from God. And I just commend everyone who's kind of doing our, our Bible reading plan, who's in our connection groups. You're in places where you are experiencing the richness of the blessing of God. That is amazing. God longs to speak to you through his word. The Bible isn't a duty, it's a delight. It's a hearing from God. How awesome that we are being blessed as God speaks to us, blessed as he hears from us. I am seeing so many prayers answered in our church. God's like waiting to just hear from us and to work in power. What a blessing that is. Oh, the richness of community where people can confess sins for the first time. People can enjoy freedom from their secrets and their shame and their backgrounds and take steps forward in maturity with Christ. How awesome, what a blessing. We are blessed by God, just like Abram. But notice what God said to Abram. I'm gonna bless you and you're gonna be a blessing to all peoples. Yes, ultimately we'll see that in the person of Jesus who would come from Abram's lineage. Oh, but don't we see it much sooner right here? Don't we see it much sooner right here? I mean, here we go. Abram and Lot, and they almost start acting like contrasting examples. They go into this land. God's like, here's, here's some land. And Abram says, if you take what's to the left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. Abram, the senior of them, is like, you got first dibs. And right away, you begin to see the blessing of God in Abram just graciously poured into the life of another, just kindly shares with Lot. Just, hey, you have what's best. You take what's best. And blessing from God begins to be passed down and becomes a blessing to others. Now, here's what's crazy. Abram just sets up another altar. His worship continues. And so Abram's life, man, it only just continues to be filled by God. The joy, the blessing of receiving from God. And you begin to see Abram blessed from God, being a blessing to others. First in the plains of going, just pick the land that you want, whatever you take. And yet, while Abram becomes a man who is living for God, you begin to see Lot begin to wander from God. I just want to pause for just a moment. Lot's not the main narrative going on here, but just a couple things I want to tell you about Lot. Look back at, 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 at your Bible. You know, it's in chapter 11 that we learn who Lot is. Lot is Abram's nephew. Okay, 1127, we're going to learn that um, that's his nephew. You can find that from the family records in chapter 11. So here's what it looks like. It looks like Abram and Sarah headed out from their land and they took Lot with them. Probably Lot's mom and dad were dead. And, and Abram's like, I'm your uncle. Like, come with me. Like, I'll take you under my wing. So maybe being kind of like a father figure to him. So, so Abram is the uncle of Lot. But you begin to see in Lot him thinking first of himself. You saw that in chapter 13. I read that. Verse 11. Verse 11, it says, Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. I mean, there it is. And he chooses the first one for himself. And that's me oftentimes, right? Hey, the plate of cookies comes out of the oven. Which one do you pick? I'm looking at that plate. I'm going, which one appears to have the most chocolate chips in it? Which one looks the biggest? 
I am completely evaluating all of life through the lens of my joy. But Abram seems to have found a greater source for his joy that's freeing him up even by way of just generosity. You choose. I'm good. I'm connected. You choose. And Lot then chooses the plains. And then, and this is going to be subtle right now. It will become way more obvious as we get further in Genesis narrative. He goes and he lives near. He pitched his tents near Sodom and Gomorrah. God is right now telling you ahead of time, oh, that's a place of wickedness. That's a place of evil. And he's like, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like getting near. Soon in the very next chapter, we'll see him plain living in Sodom. It is like his heart is bending towards what is wrong. Abram's got a trajectory towards God, and Lot seems to be bending away from God. I wonder if that's you this morning. I so appreciate the honesty of our church, the openness of people just saying what's really true. I met with a, a guy within the last handful of weeks, and... He had such consternation in his life because in some ways he was trying to follow God. In other ways, he wanted the world. And you could see like the distress on his face as he talked to me about all of this. And I was telling him, I'm telling you, the world's going to lie to you. It's going to promise more than it can, that it can come through. You know, my friend, Pastor Tom, this 80-year-old saint, you know, in his deep voice says things like this. He goes, you know, sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs more than you want to pay. You know, I'm like, that was good. You know, and I'm, I'm trying to like translate this wisdom into the life of this student. I'm going, I'm telling you, it promises much. It's going to take you longer. I can't remember the rhyme. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's not what you want. And though he was grieved as he listened to me, the whole time, never had a smile on his face. There's only one time during the meeting when he smiled. It's when he looked up at me and he says, but when I pursue the world, I feel alive. And I went, oh, it's heartbreaking. I thought, you're going to need to fall farther before you look to God, quite possibly. It's just like a student I talked to within the last week, a gal, who was super open and honest, getting a chance to share the gospel with this person. And quickly as I'm sharing the gospel, brokenness, that's what defines my life. And I'm like, oh, thank you for being so open and honest. And, and then we got to the whole, done with the whole thing. And I said, is there anything that would keep you from being healed of your brokenness with God, from surrendering your life to Jesus, for being forgiven, for finding in God what your soul's always been longing for? You know what she said? Yeah, there is something keeping me from God. The college life. She's still looking to an empty cup, thinking, no, maybe it will satisfy. I'm trying to say, no, 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 it's God. Believe me, please listen to me. Right now, the empty cup looks so attractive. I'm telling you, Abram was experiencing at altar after altar after altar, the richness of the blessing of God. In fact, so much so that it was pouring out into the lives of others, blessed to be a blessing. But there are people like Lot who are leaning away, Attracted, bending. While the story continues as we track Abram's life and God's goodness to him into chapter 14. And I want to sum up the first 11 verses of chapter 14 because otherwise you're just going to get lost in a lot of names. Basically it's this. 
there are five kings, including the king of Sodom, who go to battle with four other kings. Now, Lot is living in Sodom, so he's kind of with these five kings. The four kings win and haul them off, and that's where we are. So there's your summary. Okay, verse 12. Genesis 14, verse 12 says, They also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, for he was living in Sodom, and they went on. One of the survivors came and told Abram the Hebrew who lived near the oaks belonging to Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eskel and the brother of Aner. They were bound by a treaty with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken prisoner, he assembled his 318 trained men born in his household, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he and his servants deployed against them by night, defeated them, and pursued them as far as Hobah to the north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and, all, and also his relative Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the other people. Guys, Abram, blessed by God, now is going to serve his wandering nephew Lot. Now he's just going to love him. And this is what it looked like. Abram takes 318 men and goes as far as Dan. And we go, oh, well, as far as wherever Dan's at. No, Dan was a land. Like, as far as Dan was about 140 miles away. So now, you want to help the guy? <laughs> Guess what? The fight isn't even in your backyard. You got to walk from here just past Tampa. <laughs> That's a long hike to just get into the battle. Like you're now showing your love. You're really serving someone. Oh, you say you're blessed. Well, be a blessing to others. Go rescue him. Go lay your life down. Go risk your own future. Go serve someone. Well, he hikes foot marches at 140 miles, and then get this, that's where he engages the battle. The next location on the map, they say, they, and then they fought as far as this place, they went 100 miles more. What I'm saying is that Abram, the blessing that God had poured into his life, it begins to show itself in all kinds of ways. First, he's just generous. Take whatever land you want. Too bad you keep wandering towards Sodom. And then, you know what? We got to help him. We got to serve him. We got to love him. We got to go fight for him. And so the blessing of God in Abram's life, well, just keeps pouring into the lives of others. I mean, he just keeps pouring it out. And it seems like God just keeps filling him up to the point of overflowing. Well, now he's down there serving a guy. Guys, you begin to see this pattern. Oh, the guy's blessed to be a blessing. At some point, I just have to hit pause and go, Am I just taking in God's blessing for me? Am I just going, thanks, God. Thanks for the job. Thanks for the friends. Love my connection group. The circle's tight now. We don't let anyone in. We'd hate for some unbeliever to contaminate the richness of fellowship we have. Let's keep this to ourselves. Oh, thanks, God, for those dollars. Thanks for stimulus checks. Thanks for everything. I'll figure out a way to use it all on me. Abram wasn't like that. He was being blessed by God. He just continued to show blessing to others. Because that's how God created people to be. So that you don't wither on the inside. Well, it's while he wins this battle, what happens next is a very interesting thing. We meet a guy, a mystery man in the Bible. 
named Melchizedek. I have never met someone who named their child Melchizedek. Maybe you have, and maybe you will. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying I've never met someone. Let's just, I do, I do much better if I just read my notes. Okay, Genesis 14, look with me at verse 17. It was after this battle, look at what happens. After Abram returned from defeating hard name and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Shava Valley, that is the king's valley. Now get this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. <laughs> he was a priest to God most high. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who had handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, I'm going to stop there. There's a few more verses in the chapter that talk about Sodom's like going to offer Abram some stuff. And he's like, no, I'm not going to take it. But I just want to like pause on the mystery man, Melchizedek. The guy who comes out of nowhere. Like they're fighting a battle. They're done. They're probably gassed. They're exhausted. Dude, the walk was long. The battle was hard. Like in the midst of that, here comes someone literally out of nowhere. Where does this guy come from? The Bible says, and I want us to look at him a little bit more to get at his identity and what he's about. Melchizedek, interestingly, his name means king of righteousness. So if you're going to name your son that, that's what you just named him. King of righteousness. That's what his name means. So the king of righteousness, who also happens to be the king of Salem. Now let me pause on that one. Salem was likely, it meant peace, but it was likely an ancient name for the city of Jerusalem. What do we know about Jerusalem? This is where the temple would be built a bunch of years after that by King Solomon, the temple that God would dwell in in a unique way. So get this, Melchizedek, whose name means the king of righteousness, who comes from a place called peace, that is likely Jerusalem, the city where God will come and dwell in a very unique way, he approaches Abram with a snack. He brought out bread and wine. And it also says about this guy, the mystery man, Melchizedek, he was a priest to God most high. Now look, if you even hung in there for the Bible reading plan a little bit, you got this far in your Bible, here's what you know. There's nothing else going on except you got Noah and the flood and then we get Abram and like the plot line is pretty obvious. This guy comes from nowhere. And he's like, guess what? I'm a priest of God. You're kidding me. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Guys, this is like so long before the priesthood is even developed. That would come later after Moses and Levi and his sons. All like I sprint red. Well, I say sprint red through numbers the other day. Like that's... <laughs> Took me over two hours. Uh, like, that took a little while. But like, I went through there. Like, then the priesthood starts getting developed. It didn't even exist. And this guy's like, I'm a priest of God. And then you're gonna learn later in the Old Testament that you can't be a king and a priest. Like, that's the rule. That's a no-no. King, yep. Priest, yep. King and priest, get out of here. Like, you can't be both. Melchizedek's like, I am. I am. Like, I came from Jerusalem. You'll hear about it later. I'm a king. Yeah, I am. My name means righteousness. And, and here I am. 
What are you going to do with that? And then what, what Abram does is, is, is crazy. First, he gets blessed by this guy. Now, when you think of someone blessing someone, you think, oh, yeah, there's a superior and inferior. And it's the superior person that blesses the inferior person. That's exactly what helped him. Melchizedek is like, I'm going to pronounce a blessing on you. And this is what he says. Abram is blessed by God most high. Abram's thinking, I thought only I knew him. Abram's blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. Abram's got to be like, where'd you come from? Look, at you. you are totally outside of everything we knew God was doing. And here you come out of nowhere. And now you're blessing me. He's using language that is broader of the Jewish language that Abram's using. Honestly, probably saying that God is not the personal God of just Jews. Like language that Abram would start to use of God that perhaps is saying God's the God of Jews and Gentiles of the whole world. Like he's starting to use language like that. And Melchizedek pronounces blessing on Abram. And what does Abram do? Dude, take a tenth of everything I have. <laughs> he's just like, let me just, he so recognizes God is in this. God's a source of blessing. God helped me to beat those guys. God helped me to get, have everything I have. And you know what? I recognize you're from God. Here, have it. <laughs> Worship. It's just a bunch of my stuff. And he gives to him a, a tenth. When we talk about the idea of a tithe, just so you know, if you're new to the Bible, I certainly was. When I became a Christian, I'm like, I don't even know which side's up. Um, like, a tithe is a tenth. Like, a lot of Christians will do that even now today. And so the idea is that, well, this guy, even before the law told anyone to do that, like, it was just his practice to just like, go, oh, here you go. It's found elsewhere in the Bible. It's found throughout the law. Even Jesus said, hey, you can keep doing that. Honestly, as I move into the Bible, like, Jesus, with Jesus, like his teaching on giving, it's like always more and never less. So I've encouraged my kids from when they were small, like, yeah, give a tenth of what you have to God. My word, don't stop there. The Bible pushes us well beyond that, but it's a good starting place. If you don't know where to start in like financial generosity, like Abram's got a great model for us here. And good luck finding a guy named Melchizedek to give it to. Like, I think the main thing Jesus is doing now is through the local church. So I would say, wherever your local church is, like give generously so that we can be a part of taking the gospel everywhere. But, but this guy, this guy, he's just received so much blessing from God. Abram's like, dude, I'm full. Even when I screw up in Egypt, I get blessed. I can't believe it. That sounds backwards. But you know what? Uh, there you go, Melchizedek. Just, I've been blessed and I just keep getting blessed by God. And I understand the reason. I understand why God blesses people. It's always to be a blessing to others. Do you start to see the pattern in Abram's life? It's like, dude, take the best land for yourself. God's given me that. Oh, you need help? I'll take all my people I have. We'll go fight for you. I'll serve you. I'll love you. I'll care for you. I'll try and rescue you. Stop living near Sodom. But I'll come get you. And then, oh, Melchizedek, you're right. God's the source of all my blessing. But I'm freed up. Guys, this is what God's talking about. This is the big idea. You've been blessed to be a blessing. God has blessed you, if you know God, to be a blessing. I find that honestly, giving money is like the easiest thing in the world. Sometimes just serving someone when it's like my day off. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Writing checks are easy. Never mind, you don't do that. Venmo's easy. Sometimes it's hard to serve. 
You know, loving Jenny through depression, that by God's grace, she's really come out of in a long way. I find that hard. Oh, God, help me there. Giving's pretty easy. Here's the thing. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Is that said of your life? Is it obvious to people that you get that? Can they see it in the way you love people, in the way you serve? Does your checkbook or wherever the heck you keep track of your finances, does it show that God's the highest priority in my money? Or are you more like one of those tippers? Well, I don't know. We'll see how the service goes. Might tip God. A little something. Or is it at the top of your budget? Guys, we've been blessed to be a blessing. I've seen that again and again. I've seen it in financial generosity. I've seen it in story after story. A mother who had next to nothing as her husband was leaving her, not following the faith, saying in a Ziploc baggie, he wouldn't let me give from the rest of our budget. So I saved up everything I had. It's a rolled pile of bills in this bag. I want this for the Lord. And in that same bag was a bunch of change. She goes, I, the bills are from me, and all the change comes from my kids who wanted to participate in what God was doing here. I've seen again and again people going, why else does God bless me? If not to experience more of his blessing by being a blessing. But guys, I want to stop short of ending with Abram, putting him on a pedestal, because those people will let us down again and again. I want to end our time just musing on Melchizedek. Melchizedek, because we need to know this, that as we look to Melchizedek, the mystery man who comes out of nowhere, the rest of the Bible is going to pick up a theme and connect him to pointing us at the person of Jesus. That's right. That's Hebrews. That's another book study. But we will see this, that there is one like Melchizedek. There is one like Melchizedek who comes to us out of seemingly nowhere and brings blessing into our life. There is one like Melchizedek whose name doesn't merely mean righteousness. No, he brings righteousness from God. See, there is one greater than Melchizedek who is not only a king of righteousness, who is from this place of named peace. No, there is one who brings peace from God. That's right. When we were under the judgment of God for our sins, listen to me, people are surrendering their lives to Jesus and finding his forgiveness. So maybe he has you here this morning to hear this very line, that while we deserve the judgment of God for our sins, you know what I'm talking about, the things you've said and done and thought, while we deserve God's judgment, he offers forgiveness to where you can have peace with God. There is one greater than Melchizedek, and he has come to us not from a distant land, but from heaven itself. There is one like Melchizedek who was not merely a priest at one time, but remains a priest forever. That is someone who is a gap, who tends to bridge the gap between man and God, helping man to know God and God to be known to man. He continues to serve as a priest. There is one like Melchizedek who comes and blesses God and who, as he blesses your life, you can pour your life's blessing into the lives of others around you. And this one I speak of is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. 
the son of God, the one Melchizedek points us to. He doesn't fit into the priesthood. He comes out of nowhere, perhaps as unexpectedly as he came to the man I got to lead to Christ this last week. One who thought, oh, I think I'm probably fine with God, who said to me, interrupted me, and said, my life is marked by brokenness. And when I asked, why not now find forgiveness and wholeness in Christ? What would keep you? He said, nothing. See, there is one like Melchizedek coming out of nowhere, offering peace, would give you righteousness, would richly bless you so that you could not walk around as a beggar with your empty cup, but you could experience the richness of God's blessing and give it away to others. His name is Jesus. He is the one we worship at Salt Church, and he is the one who opens his arms wide to every one of us if you want him. I'm going to pray to him right now for me and for us, and then we're going to close in worship. Let me pray.